first of all, before I give this uh, final message to Grace Way, I wanted to uh, thank you all so much. Uh, thank you for your graciousness, your hospitality, uh, welcoming me um, and spending this whole weekend uh, just welcoming me. A lot of you uh, opened up uh, just conversations with me. A lot of you opened up and, and just shared about your life. And thank you for welcoming me into your life. And um, I've been really uh, blessed and enjoyed so much uh, getting to know all of you. I just want to say that this congregation as a family is an incredible family congregation. Um, please don't take for granted uh, what you have here, who you have here with one another, and especially with Pastor David's Halim and the rest of the staff, uh, all the elders here. Um, it's been an incredible privilege, and I just foresee greater things uh, for this congregation, uh, what God has in store. So with this, I wanted to give the closing message. If we could have, uh, Dan, this is the last time I'll abuse you as the slide guy, so... Um, Follow Jesus. And what that means is for us, it means that we are sent. That if you are to follow the footsteps of Jesus, it will lead you to other people. It will lead you on a mission. And so I'm going to start just by giving a brief survey and introduction about Jesus, the one who is sent. I believe for many of us, you and I know Jesus in many ways. Jesus is the one who saves. Jesus is the one who loves. Jesus is the one who forgives. The Bible mentions all of these things about Jesus, but I want us to come together around one truth about Jesus that many of us overlook, and it's a truth that's explicitly used to describe him over and over again, and it's the truth that Jesus was sent. And this leads us to the first part of today's message. Jesus, the one who was sent. Jesus was God, the son who was sent. He was embarking on a search and rescue mission into our world. There was this sentness of Jesus, this idea of being sent, and it dominated and shaped Jesus's identity and mission. It guided Jesus's priorities his everyday decisions, it seemed to dominate his entire life. When you look at how often Jesus referred to himself as the one who was sent, it's astonishing. This theme of being sent ran all throughout his life. Let me give you a glimpse of this just from the book of John. So just look up at the screen and follow along with me while I read verse after verse. Just soak it all in. This is Jesus talking about himself. Next slide. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. My teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. I am not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him because I am from him and he sent me. I stand with the father who sent me. 
The one who sent me is with me. We must do the works of him who sent me. Whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. The father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. Whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. We could go on and on. Just in the book of John alone, over 30 times, Jesus refers to himself as the one being sent. Jesus was sent. Jesus was the sent one. Now, this begs us to ask the next important question, which is why? What was Jesus sent for? Next slide. What was Jesus sent for? What was his mission? Over 30 times, he describes himself in the book of John as being sent. Why? And this is where we're going to look at today's passage from Luke chapter 15. It's an account where Jesus lays out his mission and his purpose for being sent. So here's today's passage, Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 2. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Let's understand what's happening in today's passage. Jesus is sitting with a bunch of sinners whose reputation and lifestyle are so distasteful, so heinous, that other sinners look at them and call them, quote-unquote, sinners. So other sinners are looking at them and saying, those are sinners, So Jesus is also sitting with the Jewish tax collectors. And these are tax collectors who sided with Roman oppressors. They're taxing their own people on behalf of the Romans, and they're skimming a percentage off the top for themselves. So basically, these Jewish tax collectors are basically earning a wealthy living off the oppression of their own people. So you have Jesus sitting with tax collectors, sitting with sinners, very immoral, very seedy people. They are considered the lowest of the low, scorned and hated by everybody, rejected by everyone. But they're sitting around Jesus. And they're leaning towards him. And they're listening to him. They're taking in everything that Jesus is saying. Here's this man named Jesus who isn't compromising, but also telling them about a God who loves them and who will forgive them and give them a new life. And while all this is going on, all the religious leaders are gathering together and they're muttering among themselves, can you believe this Jesus? There he is spending time with the enemy. Doesn't he know that we've separated ourselves from them? We're the good guys. They're the bad guys. And look, did you see that? He's laughing. He even acts like he likes them. He's eating with them. He's going to their parties. You'd think that his ministry was all about, well, all about them. And Jesus apparently heard them because the Bible says that he then turned to them and he was not going to let this go. He was so fed up that they didn't see the Father's heart in this. So fed up that they hardened their own hearts and closed their own eyes that he told them not one, Not two, 
but three stories in a row to pound this truth into their lives to try and set them straight. And the three stories he told them were about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son, all in Luke chapter 15. In the first story, a man keeps watch over 100 sheep. One of the sheep goes astray, and the man leaves the other 99 so that he could find that one lost sheep. Once he finds that lost sheep, he gently hoists that sheep over his shoulders, treks back home. He tells his friend, look, I found my lost sheep. Celebrate with me. In the second story, a woman has 10 coins, but she loses one. Now, this one coin that she's lost represents one-tenth of her estate. So she gets on her knees. She turns on all the lights, sweeps through the house, gets on her hands and knees, goes on an all-out search for that one coin. When she finds it, she tells her neighbors, look, I found my coin, rejoice with me. In the third story, a son goes to his father, demands that his father hand over his share of inheritance, which at that time was an unthinkable, insulting gesture. The father gives the son his share, and the son goes and he squanders it on wild living and parties. After losing everything, the son returns home full of deep shame, remorse, and he expects only punishment and rejection. But instead, the father, who is looking for his lost son, when he sees him, he runs out, he embraces him, he declares that his son has come, has come home, he hosts a banquet in light of his son, who was lost but who is now found. In all these stories, Jesus makes it clear what his mission on this planet was about, and what ours is to be as well. You see this unfold in all three of our stories. First, in all three stories, what was lost mattered, and mattered deeply to the person who lost it. That one lost sheep mattered to the shepherd. That single coin mattered to the woman, and that son mattered to the father. And that one coworker, that one family member, that one friend, that one college roommate, that one person matters deeply to God. Next slide. In all three stories, what was lost warranted an all-out mad search. There was nothing that mattered more than finding what was lost. That all-out mad search was not a side project. And that is the heart of God. He's in an absolute ongoing, permanent search mode. He's consumed with this mission. Jesus wants to make absolutely clear that his mission is to seek the lost. Nothing is more important. Nothing. But that's not all we find in these three stories. Do you notice how all three of them end? All three stories end with a party, with incredible joy. Next slide. In all three stories, there is always great joy when what is lost is found. That's God's attitude when someone returns. The Bible says that when a sinner repents, when a person says, I give my life to Jesus, that at that moment, all of heaven, millions of saints and angels, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they all throw a party. And there's a banner that unfurls across the banquet table in heaven and has the name of the person on it. Welcome, Daniel, or welcome, Jenny, welcome, Jim, Stephanie. It's the name of your coworker, your friend, your roommate who doesn't know Jesus. It's your family member who doesn't know Jesus. 
that's what Jesus was sent for. He was sent for you and for me and for the people around us. Perhaps here this morning, there are some of us who have a heart and we want to know more about Jesus. I just shared with you Luke 15, and I hope you could hear and find out and realize what God's heart is for you. That he is in an all-out search for you. Next slide. Luke 19.10, Jesus himself says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. I remember witnessing God's heart for lost people when I was a first year in college. There were about a dozen of us in our college campus fellowship, our Christian fellowship, that would meet every Wednesday. And we, we would meet at the chapel, and we would pray together, and then we would, uh, about a dozen of us, just go to different parts of the campus and share the gospel with people. And on this particular Wednesday, uh, it was a brutal day. I, I mean, I just went out to the lawn, which is the place, kind of like the quad of our school. And I tried to share with two or three people, and all three people said, thank you, but we're, we're just not interested. So I was kind of dejected, and I started walking towards a place on our campus called The Corner. Uh, the Corner is, is a food marketplace area. And I met a guy in, host, in uh, hospital scrubs at the bus stop. His name was Greg, and he was an older African-American gentleman. He was waiting for the bus. And so I asked him um, if he wanted to hear more about Jesus, if he wanted to hear about who Jesus was. He said, yes. And so I was, I was, I was excited. So I started sharing with him. I started with creation. I started by talking about a God who created us and everything we see around us to have a relationship with us. And he was nodding his head in agreement. Greg was like tracking with me. And then I shared about sin. And I shared about the fall of humanity and how there is now a curse and how we are now separated from God and about how there is now a hell, a reality of eternal separation from God. And he was tracking. He was agreeing. He said, I understand. And then the bus came. <laughs> and Greg got on. And I was devastated because I just talked to him about hell. And then he was getting on the bus to go. And I wouldn't be able to share about Jesus. So as Greg was walking towards the bus, he turned to me. He said, hey, John, what you're sharing is really good. Can you come over to my house and share with me and my family? And I said, absolutely. Um, what's your address? So I got his contact info. I got his address. And then that Saturday, I was planning to head over to his house. I was a first year in college, and I had no car. And so I asked my friend uh, Q. He had a car. And I asked him to drive me to Greg's home. Greg lived in a rundown area of Charlottesville. I did not know there was a rundown area of Charlottesville. So Q and I actually, as we drove into his neighborhood, we got a little scared. There was graffiti sprayed on the homes. We saw a car that was torched out. 
Uh, I then turned to Q, and as we pulled into Greg's home, we saw bars on and on the windows and the doors. I told Q to to leave the neighborhood and come back in an hour. As I walked towards Greg's house and towards the door, along the wall, I saw holes, and I looked, and they were bullet holes. By the time I turned around, Q had already sped off. (laughs) So I knocked on the door. Greg opened the door and warmly welcomed me in. As I walked into their house, he introduced me to his wife, Gloria, and they both shared a bit more about themselves. They both had just gotten out of prison. They were in prison for selling drugs. They were married, and they had two kids. And after sharing their stories, Greg asked me to share the gospel once again to him and to Gloria. And so I got to share the entire gospel with them. I shared about sin. And as I started talking about sin, both Greg and Gloria started to weep. Tears were streaming down their faces. And when I shared about Jesus and the cross and about the new life that they have in Christ, they were crying, but with joy. And they prayed with me. And after we prayed, when I told them that they had now a new life and an eternal life in Christ, their faces were beaming with joy. Just then, two of their kids were running through the living room. And so Greg and Gloria asked me to share with their kids. And so I shared with their son and their daughter. And they too believed in Jesus, surrendered their lives to him. I gave their cop, uh, the family a copy of the Bible, and I started talking to them about any local churches that they could join and attend starting this Sunday. And they said that there was this church that they were thinking of. Fast forward, I left school for the summer. I called them during the summer. Um, their names were Greg and Gloria Smith. And um, I called them and I, I said, Greg, Gloria, how are you both doing? Greg answered, we're good. We're part of a Baptist church down the street. And Greg continued on. He said, I started a prison outreach uh, ministry because I want my friends who are in jail to know about Jesus. And Gloria got on the phone and she shared that she opened up her house to take care of little kids during the day so that they don't stay out in the streets where it's dangerous. And they said, John, we're so happy and so excited to see Jesus in our lives. We hung up, and then it was basically my turn to cry. Because all through this, what I saw was God's relentless search and pursuit for Greg and Gloria, and he found them. Jesus was sent to seek and to save the lost. But that's not all. To those of us here who are Christians, Christ followers, this is the final point of our message. Next slide. It's our turn. Listen to these words from Jesus to those who came to him, to those who are found by him as a result of his mission. Next slide. John 20, 21 says, As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Jesus wasn't just 
sent on a mission, he came to send us on a mission. The same one. Meaning that the overarching reality of your life and my life is the same as the overarching reality of Jesus' life. To live a sent life. To call the world back to God. There's an old story. It goes like this. When Jesus returned to heaven after his time on earth, the angels gathered all around him to learn about what had happened. And Jesus told them about his miracles, his teaching, his death, his resurrection. And when he finished, one of the angels asked him, but Lord, what happens now? You're here in heaven with us. What happens now? And Jesus answered, I have left behind 11 faithful followers who will declare my message and demonstrate my love. These faithful few will establish and build my church, and that church will take my message, my life, to the world. But, responds the angel, what if they fail? What then? Jesus answers, I have no other plan. We're it. We're it because we're the ones who have been sent. Now, that's where this message gets a little sticky because there's a lot of followers of Christ who aren't willing to be sent. Perhaps one of the biggest reasons why we're not willing to be sent is because of what we would call today spiritual consumerism or egocentrism. It's this whole preoccupation of the self within the church. It's this mentality in the church where we say to ourselves, it's, it's really ultimately all about me. It's my pleasure, my comfort, my convenience. And so we hear comments, and I hear comments at our church like, I want to be here, I want to go to a church where I'm fed, period. I want to go to a church where my needs are met, period. And when we say this, what we're actually saying is the end goal of everything is me. As long as I'm fed, as long as my needs are met, it ends with me. What if we change that? What if instead of saying, I want to go to a church where I'm fed, we say, I want to go to a church where I'm fed so that I could continue feeding myself and now help feed other people. I want to go to a church where my needs are met so that I could see how God is the one who meets my needs. And I can tell people about this God who can also meet their needs and change their lives. So that your focus is not on yourself, but on God's mission. Jesus was not egocentric. Jesus was not consumer-driven. Remember his words. He did not say, he said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. This reminds me of something that a pastor named David Platt wrote in his book, Radical. In the late 1940s, he talks about this story. In the late 1940s, the United States government constructed an $80 million troop carrier for the Navy. The purpose was to design a ship that could speedily carry 15,000 troops during the time of war. By 1952, construction on the SS United States was complete. 
the ship could travel at 44 knots, about 51 miles per hour, and she could steam 10,000 miles without stopping for fuel or supplies. She could outrun any other ship and travel nonstop anywhere in the world in less than 10 days. The SS United States was the fastest and most reliable troop carrier in the world. The only catch is she never carried troops. Instead, the SS United States became a luxury liner for presidents, heads of state, and a variety of other celebrities who traveled on her during her 17 years of service. As a luxury liner, she couldn't carry 15,000 people. Instead, she could house just under 2,000 passengers. Those passengers could enjoy the luxuries of 695 staterooms, four dining restaurants, three bars, two theaters, five acres of open deck with a heated pool, 19 elevators, and the comfort of the world's first fully air-conditioned passenger ship. Instead of a vessel used for battle during wartime, the SS United States became a means of indulgence for wealthy patrons who desired to coast peacefully across the Atlantic. A troop carrier has an urgent task to accomplish. The luxury liner, on the other hand, is all about the passengers. Which one was the church meant to be? And what has it turned into? Well, we know. The church has been designed and has always been designed for battle, for mission, for search and rescue. The purpose of the church is to mobilize a people to accomplish a mission. Yet too many churches have turned from a troop carrier to being a luxury liner. So here's the challenge. Do we face a world with 4.5 billion people eternally separated from God, and move our ship into battle, or do we sit on a pool deck and wait for the staff to serve more hors d'oeuvres? Graceway, as I get to know you guys, you guys are in a place where you are able to welcome, to be sent, and to welcome people. As I spend time with you guys, I want to stay with you guys. You guys have an incredible presence of wanting to draw people in. Our church, my church, Open Door, we're like, we are to be a warship. We are to be on mission too. This was a message, especially the first part about being sent, was a message I gave to our church several years ago. And after I gave this message, I was convicted myself. Was I a pastor or simply a follower of Jesus who was sent? And I was so convicted that I had to make some changes in my life. And so I asked myself, how in the world, in light of my own schedule, how in the world can I live a life that is more on mission, where I am sent? And so I started looking around, and the place where God really impressed my heart was my neighborhood. And so I started to get more involved with our neighborhood. My neighborhood, I live in a cul-de-sac, a, a two-sided cul-de-sac. There are 20 homes, and we have an HOA, 
Homeowners Association. And so I volunteered to be on the board of the Homeowners Association. I, I became the secretary. And so I started to get to know all the people, the 20 different families, households. And I was thinking more and more how I could uh, get to know each person. I started to get to know all the kids in our neighborhood. And on the night, uh, one particular night of an annual uh, uh, HOA meeting, they asked if I would be the president. And I, I told them, uh, I didn't say I'd pray about it because they wouldn't know what that meant. But I just said, give me some time. And I was thinking, should I become the, I have have too much on my plate, God. I I can't do this. And so uh, I was going to go to say that I can't. Unfortunately, when I knocked on the door, I got the time wrong. The HOA already met. And so I I showed up and everyone was gone. And I said, so who's the president? And they said, you are. And I said, is that legal? And they said, well, you could turn it down right now. And I said, I guess, I guess not. I, I, I mean, God did something and orchestrated something. So I said, I'll be the president. So I became the president two years ago. My first meeting, I was so tired when I went to the HOA board meeting. Uh, there were four of us. And I was so used to leading all the meetings at church that when we sat down, I started with the words, let me open us in prayer. <laughs> and as I said, let, let me open us in prayer, I was thinking, oh my goodness, do I, do I apologize and back out and say, I'm sorry? That sounds weird. So I, so I actually prayed. <laughs> so I said, dear God, thank you for our HOA and our neighborhood. And I pray you would give the four of us here wisdom as we think about policies and ways for our neighborhood to be even, you know, to to be a hospitable, welcoming neighborhood. Amen. And they all said amen. Um, And that just broke the ice. And um, I started talking with our HOA board. And I said, well, before we start anything... Let's um, go around and share our highs and lows from the week. Um, Share about things that have been going on. I basically ran it like a small group. Um, And at the end, you know, if if there's anything that's that's really been um, a big burden on our our families or homes, just share it and and we'll see what we could do. And um, people started sharing in our uh, HOA board. I then asked, you know, is there a way for us to welcome all of our, our new people who move into the neighborhood? And so we said, you know, we should have a welcome basket for each family. So I said, let's do that. And so I said, can I be the one who personally welcomes each, each uh, new neighbor? And they said, absolutely. So I welcome, uh, get to welcome each new neighbor of our neighborhood. During this time... I also asked, do we have a block party? And they said, no, we don't. Let's, let's have a block party. So in a couple of weeks, we're going to have a block party. And uh, it's going to be a fantastic time for me to get to know, and all of us to get to know each other. It's just my way of, of just wanting to be on mission and to be sent. I thought about our church. And I said, you know what? Our church, we're not really living out a church that's being sent. And so I asked if we could create a team of people who have a heart to reach out to our neighborhood. 
where our church is located. And so we created a team called Love Herndon. Herndon is where our church is located. Love Herndon. And they came up with this vision. They said to declare and to demonstrate the gospel through the radical love and radical hospitality of Jesus Christ. And so we said, okay, radical love and hospitality. Let's, let's go out there. And so one of the things we said was we would cr- uh, partner with a Christian preschool called Logos. And they have a heart to reach out to all the neighboring kids, especially low-income kids. And they want them to come and experience preschool curriculum, but a Christian preschool curriculum. And so we're giving them our space. Um, you don't understand. For me, I value Monday through Friday that it's quiet and that we could do some work. But together as a staff, we decided we want these 60 preschool kids. We don't mind them running in the halls. We don't mind them you know, running into our bathrooms and, and, and making scuff marks everywhere. That's, we're sent. We're sent to them. We started meeting with two local schools, Coates Elementary and Clearview Elementary. Both are Title I schools, which means that they especially minister to low-income families and kids. I sat down with both principals, and I asked them, how can we help you? And they asked if we could be a part of backpack drives, book drives. Can we help prepare snack packs? Because a lot of the kids, once school is uh, over the weekends, the kids only consistent meal is through school so when they when it's weekends or certain holidays they have no food can you help prepare snack packs for them and so our church prepares that they asked if we could help we asked can we bless the teachers because they they do so much and they said absolutely so we provide breakfast every start of the year for 90 teachers we host breakfast for them before school starts for both schools. And then at the end of the school year, we send a frozen froyo truck to them just for the teachers. And so the teachers wait till all the kids are gone and then they wait. <laughs> and then the froyo truck comes by and they run out and they enjoy frozen yogurt on behalf of the church. The teachers know who we are. Several times we've gotten now calls from the school to ask if we could minister to a particular family in their school. And now there's this growing partnership between the school and our church. Our next big thing that we're planning in a couple weeks is something called the Fall Festival, where we're going to partner with the schools, partner with a church that uh, gathers right next to us. And we're going to ask the local businesses that we have partnered with in the past to help set up this Fall Festival. We're possibly expecting, and we're kind of scared about this, about three to 5,000 people who will be coming on campus. The KC who's with us, the Korean-speaking congregation, will be partnering with us as well. We have somehow someone decided we'd have a petting zoo, so we'll have animals, and then we'll have a unicyclist who will share the gospel. I don't know how that will go, but we have that. The pastors and the staff of all the churches will come together and we'll serve hot cider and personally introduce ourselves to our neighbors. And we'll tell them that we are more than just buildings that occupy a space, that we are here for them. 
The final thing that we're going to do, and this is perhaps the most daunting for us, is that we're going to start transitioning our small groups. And we're expecting a 10-year plan of transitioning our small groups so that our groups will now be on mission. That it's great that they gather together for fellowship and for study, but now we also want them to be on mission. And what's scary for us is because it's been working as is. We've been having people who come. We've been having people enjoy fellowship and and learning. But no one is going out. No one is being sent. And so we said to our church, we're going to blow up everything and just start from the beginning again and just start living together on mission. This is what our church is going to do. Because we believe that as Jesus was sent, he sends us. And this is what I pray Graceway will do as well. In your own way, because of who you are, in your own setting, what would it look like for you to be sent into your everyday and to be able to live a life of following Jesus? Sent, just as he was sent. At this time, I'd like to pray for us. And so if we could bow our heads together. I'd like to pray for you. And so, Father, we thank you for sending your one and only Son, Jesus. That you so loved the world that you sent and you gave your one and only Son so that we could believe in him. And, Father, we pray for ourselves. We pray in all the unique and different and personal ways that we would be sent into our everyday and we would know that we are not just showing up. We are not just giving a ride to our kids to a program. We are not just on a campus. We are not just at this particular place randomly, but you have sent us in our everyday And we pray in those settings, in those places, and with these people, with our conversations, Father, that there would be this sense of purpose and intentionality. And Father, that we would follow your son Jesus into our sent places. I pray for grace way. And I pray that in in only ways that you can, and in only ways that grace way can, Lord, that you would call them to be sent And that the people around them in their everyday would be impacted and would be blessed because of the presence of this church. And so with that, Father, we pray and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please join me in singing uh, Great is the Lord uh, in this time of offering. Is the 